come on a journey with a cinephile. I want to welcome everybody here to episode 5 of Journey with a Cinephile. As always, your tour guide, David Garrett Jr. here. And again, I'm going to apologize for the sound of my voice. I decided to go to Indianapolis with some friends for the Big Ten title game and lost my voice yet again in the process. Thankfully, all of my reviews, aside from a real brief talk about a new film that I saw, were recorded previously to let you peek behind the curtain a little bit there. So my voice will sound better in most of those. So I do think I have two mini reviews. And then, like I said, I'll briefly talk about another film. And then I'll have my two featured reviews of Satanic Panic and Dead Snow 2. So I'm going to go ahead first and kick us over to a musical break. And then we'll get into those reviews that I was talking about. Okay, for my first review for this week is going to be Trick or Treat from 1986. This is directed by Charles Martin Smith. It comes from a story from Rhett Topham. And the screenplay is by Michael S. Murphy, Joel Sawison, and also Rhett Topham. And uncredited on this as well is Glenn Morgan and James Wong. It is starring Mark Price, Tony Fields, and Lisa Orgolan. This is a comedy horror music film from the United States. It is currently sitting at a 5.8 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd. And the synopsis is a bullied teenage boy is devastated after the death of his heavy metal idol, Sammy Kerr. But as Halloween night approaches, he discovers that he may be the only one who can stop Sammy from making a satanic comeback from beyond the grave. Now this film I remember hearing about on podcast but it was one that wasn't on my radar until then, actually. I don't remember this growing up. And it's weird because it came out the year before I was born. 
but I don't recall this one ever being in movie stores where I would have seen the cover to possibly rent it. So I'm actually curious as to why that was or if this was more of a lower budget title that didn't have a lot of fanfare until kind of the DVD type era. Now my thoughts on this is it's very interesting that it really starts off with some socially relevant aspects. It doesn't have the deepest story, but there's quite a bit though you can kind of talk about. And I'm not going to lie, I felt horrible listening to Eddie, who is our main character, when this film starts. It really sounds like he's at the end of his rope and actually getting ready to kill himself. Interesting to me is that it gets away from this not too long after we kind of get this opening monologue, but in the beginning here, I felt horrible for him. And when it was revealed on television that Sammy died, I thought that he might just go ahead and end it, but has something good happen to him when he goes to visit the local radio station where we have Nuke who is played by Gene Simmons working in a kind of fun cameo there and he is given a record that is unreleased from Sammy Kerr and his band but what I do like here is that there's actually some good writing in that Eddie says that the record is heavier than normal, which makes sense when he starts playing it that he kind of hears something odd coming from it, and when it's played backwards, he can actually communicate with the singer, and this gets him down this path of getting revenge on the bullies that are treating him poorly. So I will say, this is a supernatural film if you didn't get that from things I've said. It also has slasher elements, but I wouldn't necessarily classify it that way. I guess loosely we do because we do get people picked off, but there's quite a bit of spacing in between those. And the deaths are actually done supernaturally, so it's hard for me to classify it necessarily that way, but it does have elements there. And something I actually kind of want to bring up here as well with the story is I question the motives of Leslie because she's a popular girl but she starts to invite Eddie to things and actually leads to him getting bullied at the swimming party that I just don't know what made her decide that all of a sudden she wanted to help out this guy who has just been bullied which I mean it's good on her part but I do just question the motives there but I like the playing backwards of the record for Eddie to communicate with Sammy I do think the rules for Sammy are a little bit wonky though. There's parts in it where Eddie has to play either the record or the tape that he makes of the record for Sammy to come from it. But then once it's being played over the radio, he's allowed to disappear anywhere that has a radio, which I don't mind this idea. I just feel like they needed to kind of limit it just a little bit where I think that you actually have to be within hearing distance for him to actually still be around. And I do like that late in the film we get how to defeat him, which makes sense with the powers that he actually has. I will say the acting isn't great, but I definitely think it works for this horror comedy type movie. I thought Price did really well in building up my sympathy for him early on. I like the change that we see come over his character as he's trying to realize that he needs to stop Sammy. And I don't even blame him for wanting to get revenge to an extent like he was. Um, I thought that Fields as Sammy did really good. It's interesting that I've heard on podcasts that he dancers, so that's how he did all these things very well. So it does make sense that he comes off as flamboyant as he does, but it does fit for the hair metal bands that are from the era. And I thought he did well at being villainous. Orgo Linny I thought was quite attractive. And even though I did question her motives, I do think it's nice that she was accepting of Eddie. It is funny to see Doug Savant in this film, as I know him from Desperate Housewives, so it's interesting to see him in this bully-like character, because he did really well there. And I've already talked about Simmons' cameo, but we also get Ozzy Osbourne as a crazy TV minister, which is pretty funny for the things that he's saying, as it's almost like him speaking out against his own music, especially with some of the acts he used to do on stage. The deaths are pretty fun, and the effects do help here. Being that it's supernatural, many of them are done with electricity, which I don't mind. The effects are fine as they're early computer ones, which do play at my heartstrings for the era. They don't look great, but I will give them a pass for this type of film. The soundtrack works for me as it does really fall under that hair metal feel, which I was actually reading up 
that the band featured here ends up becoming Floggin' Molly, which did not have any idea about that, which I thought was pretty cool. So I will say, this film did make me smile a lot. It's definitely fun. There's some pretty interesting social commentary here that's still so, that's still relevant now. We get a supernatural slasher type film, if you want to call it that. It's not great, but I definitely found this to be above average and giving it a 7 out of 10. Alright, the next film I'm going to talk about is Enter Nowhere from 2011. This is directed by Jack Heller and is written by Sean Christensen and Jason Dolan. It stars Catherine Waterston, Scott Eastwood, and Sarah Paxton. This is a mystery sci-fi thriller and it comes from the United States. Currently on IMDb, it is a 6.5 and on Letterboxd, a 3. And the synopsis is three strangers arrive one by one at a mysterious cabin in the middle of nowhere only to learn they've been brought together for a reason. Now, this is one that I remember seeing the case when I worked at Family Video. I never took it home for whatever reason because I didn't really know if it was horror or not. And having watched it, I don't necessarily... You can make a case either way. It is close enough, so I decided to review it on here as well as write up a review for it. Now, this one's going to be a little bit difficult to talk about because I don't want to spoil this since I'm not doing a featured review on it. I will say, though, it has a really cool story. The only drawback I had for the story is that I guessed two of the major reveals pretty early on. And then after that, it was me just trying to make sure that I was correct. And I did go a little bit back and forth on it. Now, I'm not trying to brag about it because there's a lot of times where I'll get sucked into a story and not even guess the reveal where other people say it's pretty obvious. It's one of those things, though. I feel like this one goes a little bit too obvious in what they were going for. But I will say, there was something that happens in the very beginning that I didn't catch on until the end, and then it clicked home. So I was very impressed with that. I will say, you don't normally hear this from me, but I was hoping for a more religious angle than what we got here. And I think it would have just taken it over the edge and made it a really good film instead of being the rating that I give to it here in a little bit. I do still, like I said, find it to be interesting and thought the mystery built at a good pace and the mystery alone is worth a viewing. Since I've already started talking about it, I should go to the pacing next, which I thought was solid. I never found myself bored. And as the mystery is building around me, it really kept my interest in trying to find little things here and there to piece together, which that's what this does well, is gives us little pieces. And there are actually some things that are happening here that are somewhat unnerving, if I'm going to be honest. I like that the character Jody, who's played by Paxton, makes a comment about Pac-Man and how no matter how far they go, they end back up at the cabin because that's one of the things that we get here is that no matter which direction that, that Tom walks in, who's played by Scott Eastwood, always ends up back at the cabin and he's even trying to do different things like marking trees to make sure that he doesn't and it still ends up happening no matter what. And just going back to the Pac-Man comment, I thought it was a cool way of describing what is happening here because that's exactly how it feels. As I've said, I'm kind of the biggest fan of where the ending goes as I thought it should have went a different way, but it was still a pretty cool idea outside of that. And then as for the acting, I think that's the strongest part in building the mystery outside of the pacing. There are some things that were giveaways to me, even though they still are pretty subtle. I thought Waterston was really good here. She plays the Samantha character as someone who's quite timid and proper. And there's an added level of suspense because she is pregnant, which I guess is technically a spoiler, but this is learned in the first 15 minutes. That's why I, didn't, I felt comfortable dropping it here. She is struggling what is happening around her as well as the other two people, and I thought that was believable. Eastwood I thought was pretty strong as the male lead here. I did think it comes off a bit hard on Jody. Once we realize what is going on here and how they're connected, I thought that actually plays out pretty interestingly. This is a character that Paxton, I've not really seen from her, in that she's pretty much a bitch. And I thought it was really cool to see some range from her, as I was saying, for something I haven't seen her done before. There's not much else in the rest of the cast, but I think that they round out what was needed. Uh, the next thing I want to go to real quickly is the effects. For the most part, we don't get a whole lot of them. There are some dream sequences to help fill in the backstory. They're shown as distorted, which I thought was cool because that does kind of feel like how some of my dreams are, is that they're kind of hazy and you can't necessarily remember everything. So I thought having it distorted like that did work. Now I do have to say, there is some really bad CGI near the end of this that was laughable and really did take me out of the film to the point where the young lady that I was watching this with, I 
had to just keep bringing it up and just we end up we're laughing about it in the end so with that said i do feel like this is an interesting mystery and it comes at a good pace there's really good acting um, outside of the effects though there's really nothing else that i had major drawbacks outside of i wanted the ending to go a different way and i thought they should have went in a different aspect in the reveal of the mystery as well but Outside of that, I still thought that this was a solid film, and I would actually say this is above average overall, and give it a 7.5 out of 10. And then one last thing that I just wanted to cover here as well, is I did also see 2019's Knives Out this week. Now I'm not going to do a full review of it, because I don't necessarily feel like it's horror. Now I do know this is a murder mystery, and I actually had a blast with it. I thought it had a really good cast, and I actually heard a lot of buzz from people's opinions that I respect. So that was one of the reasons I made sure to go check it out. What I really like about this one, though, is we learn pretty early on what really happened. And we get to kind of meet the suspects here. There's something more nefarious going on underneath what is happening. And that's what I really liked as we get to see Daniel Craig, who plays Detective Benoit Blanc. And I just thought there was, as I said, great casting all around such a interesting mystery now it does run a tad bit long but i feel like there's so much in this that we really needed that running length so i definitely would recommend checking that out i came in at a 9 out of 10 on that one and now what i'm going to go ahead and do is send you to the trailer for my first featured review of this episode Shop for the tips. In four hours, my total earnings are an expired Applebee's coupon. A sweater that smells like racism. It's exactly oh, your size. Oh. Deliver for meal basin. It's outside our zone. I'll do it. Are you ready to make an investment in your future? Yes. Are you ready to take back what you are owed? Yes. Are you ready to fully commit yourself to Satan? Yes! Who are you? I'm the pizza guy. A girl? Are you by any chance a virgin? That's a very personal question. She's a virgin. Oh. Whose power unlocks our true potential? Hail Satan! Do you have any idea what's happening here tonight? Hail Satan! They are summoning Baphomet, the big demon from hell. And when that clock strikes 12, he is gonna rip you open. Where's my virgin? I don't know what's happening. My mom and her butt buddies are booty calling Baphomet. Hell, and they're not going to stop until you're strapped to a barbed wire altar. That's bonkers. Any idea why the rich stay rich? And you stay screwed? Mm, better health care. They are stronger than us. No virgin, no sacrifice. Let me protect you. Oh, who are you people? Death to the weak, wealth to the strong. You should stop drinking. You really want to face this over? Get that mean lady! I'm sorry! All right. And my first featured review for this episode is going to be for Satanic Panic. This film came out this year in 2019. It is directed by Chelsea Stardust. It comes from a screenplay by Grady Hendrix. And the story is also by Grady Hendrix with Ted Geohegan. It is starring Rebecca Romaine, Arden Marin, and Haley Griffith. This is a comedy horror film and from the United States. Currently sitting at a 5.5 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd. The synopsis here is a pizza delivery girl at the end of her financial rope has to fight for her life and her tips when her last order of the night turns out to be high society Satanist in need of a virgin sacrifice. Now this is a film that I heard a lot about through podcast. Some people got the chance to check this out during its festival run and I know the director, Stardust, went on a podcast to be interviewed as well. I also follow actress uh, Griffith on social media, which I happen to find her completely adorable, so that piqued my interest even more to see her in this film. 
To start us off, we get to know the area, which is the main location of the film. I was looking up a little bit of trivia about this, and it appears they were trying to pay homage to Halloween through this, which I thought was kind of cool. We see that this is a rich area, and coming up to a door, we get a POV shot. This leads us to a room where we see Judy Ross, played by Ruby Modine, is having sex with a guy. She is confronted, and we know that it is her mother, and she's not happy with what her daughter is doing. It then takes us to meet our star, Sam, who is played by Griffith. She is working at a, as a pizza delivery driver, and it's not going very well. She needs money and begs Duncan Havermeyer, who is played by A.J. Bowen, for a job. He sees it quite a bit differently than she does, and we actually get a little bit of misogyny here where he is coming on to her. She's telling him no, but he still is kind of doing his advances, which... I think is done here intentionally because we want to see that at this time Sam is a pushover and has issues with standing up for herself. From this moment we get a montage seeing how well things are not going for her at this job. She's not really getting the tips that she needs and her last five dollars is taken away by her boss Mr. Styles, played by Skeeta Jenkins. The reason being that she needs to put a deposit down on the heating bag that she gives her or that he gives to her for her pizzas. And the problem is though she has a scooter and she needed that money for gas. Now, the crux of this film is a they get an order at the pizza shop, but it's out of their delivery range. She steps up to take the job and it goes to the neighborhood that we saw earlier. Now when she finally arrives, a man answers the door, and she drops off the order. Uh, before he can close the door, she forces him to fill out the credit card slip, but when she sees that the $100 order, he doesn't leave a tip, it has her pretty irate, and to make matters worse, she goes to start her moped, and it won't start up. So she goes back on the door and pounds on it, but when nobody answers, she looks for a way inside and ends up walking in on a... This cult that we got from the synopsis, getting ready to perform a ritual. What I do like here is she's a bit odd and just starts talking to one of the main people here who is Kim Larson, who's actually played by Jordan Ladd, and she's telling her that she can't be there and it ends up turning into a funny situation when the head of this cult, Danica Ross, played by Romaine, asks her who she is and ends up realizing this girl is a virgin and they needed a new one to replace from what we learned somebody else and the whole goal here is that they're trying to summon baphomet and the reason being is we learn that is how these rich people keep their money and keep their power through being satanists and worshiping these people or worshiping these demons now that's the main idea behind the film and kind of giving you a more in-depth recap from the synopsis. I will say I personally found this to be pretty fun. I'm a big fan of movies with cults in it, so that also helps. The one drawback that I will give here is that I feel like this cult's a little bit watered down and played for comedy for a more mainstream audience. I don't necessarily see the issue here, but as a horror fan and some of the films that I've seen, it doesn't necessarily go as far as I would like it to. What I can see this though is a gateway film for a more younger audience when they before checking out some of the more classic ones, which if that is how somebody uses it, I'm all for it. I will say though I thought the writing was pretty solid if I'm going to be perfectly honest. We get some things that are introduced earlier in the films that come back later and make more sense to the overall story. Example here is... Sam sings a song about Australia and shows it to her co-workers who make fun of her. What is interesting though about this is it actually has a deeper meaning and she's a strong character at heart but needs to be pushed to become that. During the montage earlier we see her get duped into helping a frat guy move a couch into his place by telling her that there is a rule of Sam where anybody who has the name Sam actually has to help out the other one if they are told that, as the guy is clearly named Samuel. But this makes for an interesting encounter with Samuel Ross, who is Danica's husband, played by Jerry O'Connell, is 
he realizes he's going to be murdered later that night from what he tells us, but she tells him that he has to help her escape because of the rule of Sam. So I thought that was kind of a cool callback there. And there's also an interesting situation with a character named Samazel later. I really enjoy the character detail of the ritual. The chanting that they're doing does sound pretty on point with what I would expect. I have heard of the character of Baphomet, so that's pretty cool that they have that there. I've also kind of brought up another name, the Samazel, which I haven't been able to find a real demon with that name in Christian or Satanic mythology, but I will give them credit if they made this up as I thought it was fine there. I will say that the comedy in this does hurt me a little bit. It didn't necessarily land, and I didn't really find it all that funny. I will admit there were some times where I did chuckle, so I will give it credit there. A lot of that is just Griffith and her way of playing the character. She's quite awkward, which I think was makes her even more endearing. I don't want to make this out to be like it's a true comedy, though, as there are some pretty horrific things that do happen here. I will admit, though, I did have some slight issues with the pacing. I don't want to say it's boring because that's not the case. I do feel that it does lose its way a bit at times, and I did find myself having some of my interests waning. I feel the problem is that the effects in this film are really good, and we don't get as much as I would have liked from it. And there's quite a bit of it hiding, or the characters trying to hide from the cult, so that could also be kind of that, is they're just sitting around and not necessarily on the run. I mean, even though technically they are on the run, but they're just hiding in different houses. It just, for whatever reason, for me, bogged down in the later parts of the second act. Since I've kind of already brought it up, I should just go in and speak about the effects. Uh, they were done practically for the most part. Uh, the wounds we get looked real at times, and so did the blood. There's even a part where somebody sticks their hand inside of another person's body, and it made me cringe. We get some interesting creature effects later here. For the demons that we get, I thought that looked good. I do feel like this film was shot pretty well. And I'm assuming there was some CGI, but it never took me out of it, and it looked real enough for me. The cast that we get here was quite interesting, as I said. Romaine is still attractive despite her age, and I thought she did a solid job as the main villain. Mirren was also good as her second-in-command, who is vying for that power. As I've also said earlier, Griffith was adorable. Her awkwardness, as I said, really worked for me, and I like the fight she has in her. The more we learn about her character, the more that works for me. Modine is solid in her cameo that we get here. Also glad to see, like I said, Bowen, Ladd, Jeff Daniel Phillips, O'Connell, and Jenkins, among others. Many of them play cultists, which worked well for me, and I think the rest of them kind of just round out this film for what was needed. The last thing to cover for me would be the soundtrack. And I think this definitely fit for what they needed. Griffith has a song that she sings that's a bit cheesy, but when you learn more about it, it makes it even more heartfelt. The score itself isn't one that I would revisit a lot, but it does fit and help to set the mood of the scenes and build tension, so I'll give it props there. As I'm saying, this does have some really good aspects to it that I dug. I think we get some good writing Anything with cults and Satanists are something that I'll probably end up checking out as long as it's, you know, at least semi-worth my time. I think the acting actually helps bring this to life. The effects are really good. The comedy does hurt it slightly for me, but it doesn't necessarily ruin it. I will say that it does lose its way a little bit in the second act. The ending worked for me, though, and I thought that was really cool what we get there. Oh, there's a slight social commentary that I've kind of already brought up here that that's how they get their power and how they keep their power. So I did think that was kind of interesting. And, I mean, you could almost even look at this as a way of saying that capitalism is the devil since that's how a lot of these people get to where they are and stay where they are. I don't necessarily want to get overly political here, but that is a message you can take from this. I do feel this film is above average and pretty fun so i would recommend giving this a viewing if what i've said here sounds good my rating for this comes in at a seven out of ten and what i'm gonna go ahead and do is send us to the next trailer for the second featured review of this episode which is going to be dead snow 2 red versus dead
Martin, can you hear me? Are you there? Thanks. Came from the snow. Nazis. The little Nazi creatures came up from the earth. When we found you, your right arm was ripped off. We found your arm in the car. The operation was a success. Squad. Martin, these are not your textbook zombies. These are cursed zombies, awakened to complete a task given to them. We will take care of this. We are professionals. Looks like we're going to Norway. It's time to go hunting. That was farther than usual. What do the creatures want? Revenge. Where they are, they have a tank, I see. That can't be good. Your arm, your power. This is how we defeat them. We create an army of our own. No, 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 no. That's disgusting. Let's finish this. Now, my second featured review of this episode is going to be my wintry slash holidays film, which is going to be this time around, Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead. This came out in 2014. The original title is Dead Snow 2. It is directed by Tommy Vircola, and then the screenplay is written as well by Tommy Vircola, Viger Hole, and Stig Freude Heinrichsen. It is starring Vigor Hall, Orjan Gamst, and Martin Starr. This is an action comedy horror, and the countries of origin are a co-production of Norway, Iceland, United States, and the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.9 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, Still on the run from a group of Nazi zombies, a man seeks the aid of a group of American zombie enthusiasts, and discovers new techniques for fighting the zombies. Now, much like the original, I finally got around to seeing this one when I decided to do the podcast and needed to have in some wintry themed or wintry themed films. So I figured I might as well go ahead and check out the sequel since I just saw the original. Much like that one, I really enjoyed this one and Again, I'm a big fan when you can incorporate Nazis, and I also really like zombie films, so that also helped. Now, we picked this one up right where we left off with the last one. Martin, played by Hole, is attacked in his car by Herzog, Gamst, who does end up getting his car going, and Herzog gets his arm inside of it and is choking him, but we end up seeing that he uses another... I ends up using a truck, I believe, to tear off this arm to get away. So he actually has the has Herzog's arm inside of his car as he flees. The rest of the Nazi zombies meet up with their leader, and we see he can still bring anyone back that he kills. So we actually get a scene where he starts to fill out an army of people to go along with the, the Nazis that he already had risen. Martin ends up waking up in the hospital where he's actually in custody, since they never found the bodies of the zombies, he is accused of murdering his friends by a local police officer, Gunga, played by Helvard Holman. He also realizes that the doctor attached the arm that was from the car onto himself, 
but the problem is we know that arm didn't originally belong to him and at first he can't control it and he ends up killing the doctor as well as a child in making his escape from the hospital and flees into the night his path leads him to a museum where he meets glenn kenneth who is played by heinrichson it is there that he learns more of the past of herzog and through glenn figures out where he's going to end up going Interestingly enough, Herzog also shows up at this museum, killing everyone, all the t uh, tourists that are there. And he ends up, after he leaves, Martin realizes that the arm he has brings him some of the power that Herzog is able to use, where he realizes that he can resurrect dead people around him. And I also should note here that Herzog also gets another arm attached to his own body, so he actually does two arms as well, which, knowing that this is just a movie thing, so that way they don't have to constantly have both of these characters missing uh, an arm. Martin also reaches out to a group called the Zombie Squad. It is led by Daniel, who's played by Star, Monica, who's played by Jocelyn DeBoer, and Blake, played by Ingrid Haas. Now, they're a nerdy group of people who know a lot about zombies and have seen a ton of zombie films. So they pretend and come off as their experts, but we learn after they arrive in Norway that they've never actually dealt with anything like this, and they're pretty excited but also terrified with what they have to deal with here. And then it is through Daniel and Martin as they've realized that Anytime Martin brings anything back from the dead, he becomes that thing's master. They get the idea that, or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Daniel decides that they should probably find this group of Soviet soldiers that were held in custody by Herzog and raise them from the dead. So they end up splitting up. We have Monica, Blake, and Glenn decide to go off to distract Herzog and his men, even though they have a tank now, while... Martin and Daniel go to where the Soviet soldiers were executed to raise them from the dead. And once they get there, the leader of the Soviet unit is Stavarian, who is played by Derek Mears. Now the issue can be, can they head off these Nazis before it's too late and they decimate this town that they're heading for, which was their original mission before they were killed. Now I can say, my thoughts on sequels are that if you're going to do it, you really need to ramp up what you had in the previous one and just either go for a bigger body count, but I also want to make sure that they don't violate any continuity. Now what I like here is that we get some of that. I like that we get to learn more about Herzog, and we actually get to see more of his ability to raise the dead. Because I know in the original, he has a few soldiers and then there's a major plot point where he raises a ton more the two guys end up you know wiping through the ones that were already alive so i thought that was kind of a cool thing that they did there we also get a bit that it's kind of like the original dawn of the dead in that they're trying to complete the mission they had in life so they do retain some of their memories now i will go back these aren't really traditional zombies if anything, I would say they're a mixture of what you'd see in, like, Lucio Fulci's zombie, where they're almost... It's not voodoo here, but it definitely is a supernatural element that can be controlled. Because Herzog in this speaks German, and I do believe some of his men do as well, so there's a bit of that. But my problem becomes, how did they come back from the dead in the first place? I thought the original idea was that they had been patrolling this area and kind of haunting it as zombies but now it seems that they're establishing that martin and his friends did something to wake them up i don't recall it being established though the only thing i could think of was that they found that gold hidden under the floorboards now did they come back because their things are being stolen and that's what brought them back i just feel like it's a slight inconsistency there which for me being really focusing on the stories that really does kind of raise an issue for me and the other thing is that in the original, it seems like the bodies can, the dead can keep coming back until they're a pile of mush. We do get a little bit, bit of that here, but we also see that during a major point in this film at the climax, that if a zombie's killed, they're just killed, where I also feel like that both sides could literally just bring them back again and have them, you know, keep going at it until they are 
a pile of mush. Now, none of these are really huge, major, egregious issues, but they are just something that stuck out to me as slight problems that I have. Now, I don't want to end this little section of my review on a downer. I like the introduction that we get to these characters. The zombie squad is funny because I almost feel like I would be kind of a part of it, but I wouldn't necessarily go as far as they do, as they are pretty nerdy when it comes to the subject. On top of that, I like the concept that I brought up earlier, where the Soviets at the time were allies with the United States during World War II, so it's fitting that they would team up here, even though it is interesting that after the fact we had the Cold War with them. Being that these guys died before that, it's really a non-factor, and I mean, Martin's the one that brings them back, so it doesn't really matter either. Going back a little bit to the nerdy part, I do like that Monica's a huge Star Wars fan, but it doesn't necessarily fit this film. I do think it makes for some funny catchphrases as they somewhat can apply in this film, but it also kind of just seems like we had a nerdy writer and director who wanted to incorporate it. doesn't really add a whole lot, except, I mean, I did think it was funny a couple times. Moving to the pacing, I do think this goes on a little bit long for a horror comedy. It comes in at a runtime of 100 minutes, and I think there probably could have been 10 minutes trim from this. As I don't necessarily think we need everything that we see with Gunga and his police force. And I feel like sometimes the comedic aspects are just there as padding. Have, if you've listened to me or read any of my other reviews, you know that horror comedies for me are pretty hit or miss. So like the comedy, like I said, doesn't necessarily land. And I do think that the better parts of this film are the action and horror sequences, if I'm going to be honest. I do feel the ending was a bit odd. It doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't say out of place, but it also doesn't necessarily fit. But I will get to a little bit later what my favorite part of that scene was. As for the acting, I thought Hole reprising his role was solid. We don't get much character growth in this one. We just get his character from the first one, and he's already pretty much a badass, so he just continues on with that. I guess really the only slight issue would be if you didn't watch the original. It does give you a recap, but it doesn't really show you that in the beginning of that one, he's kind of a weaker person, and we see him you know, grow into what we get here. Um, Gamps is solid as the villain, much like he was in the original, and I just think you know him being the zombie leader here is just great. Bringing in Star is funny in his leader-type role that we get. I like Dubuer and Haas as well. It is interesting to see Heinrichsen take on a different role here, as I actually like his character in this one better than in the previous one, where in that one he was making jokes that didn't really land with me, where here I believe there he comes off as somebody who's alternative, where he's not necessarily gothic, I definitely think he's emo, and I almost think they're getting at the point where he's hinting that he's also gay, but he gets murdered before he can admit to it. I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for, but we don't actually get the full reveal there. It's fun to see Mears as the leader of the Soviet Union here, just because his size is so imposing. And I would say the rest of the actors, both on the human and zombies alike, were solid and rounded out this film. As for the effects, I thought they were good. The zombie makeup looks great. There are some practical effects. I actually watched a bonus feature on the DVD to realize that there was a ton of CGI in this one. I actually think they might have ramped it up here more than the, uh, than the original. I do think the gore looks good. Most of the, Some of the CGI doesn't look great. There is some, though, that I don't really have a whole lot of issue with as it just is there to enhance. But since they ramped up with the supernatural here, they also had to ramp up the CGI to bring it to life. I would say overall that the effects are more positive than negative for me. And I do think the film was shot pretty well. No issues there. The last thing to cover would be the soundtrack, which for the most part I thought fit for what was needed. And it doesn't necessarily stand out. Not really one that I would listen to while I'm writing or anything like that. But what I was bringing up earlier is that he used Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart during the ending sequence. And the scene is just so weird, but I love that song. So it fit and it actually kind of made me smile. Now with that said, I really dug this sequel. I think it did some good things to build on what we did from the previous one. There's some minor plot holes that are created though that I have a slight issue with. I thought the acting was good across the board. I think the effects are for the same boat for the most part. There's some minor issues that I had with some of the CGI. I think it runs a tad long, but this is still a fun film that I did enjoy. I will say this pretty much every time that being a comedy does hurt building tension a little bit. There were some tense moments, especially one where Glenn is running from a group of zombies that had me... I could feel my anxiety going up during that. 
I thought the soundtrack fit for what was needed for the most part. I would say that this is an above average film. It is a slight step back for me, but still worth your time. And something I wanted to throw out here is it's kind of interesting that if this one is in English, I really had to make sure that I wasn't in error because I usually like to watch films in their native language with just subtitles on, but this one definitely is in English. Just some fun facts before I completely wrap this up is that there is a recap in the beginning of this one that is paying homage to Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness. Most of this film was shot in Iceland where they were using that to replace Norway. And from what the director and the writer was saying is that was because of monetary reasons they did it that way. And something else I just wanted to put out there before I completely ended this is this one's very mean-spirited, but having Nazis as your villain allows you to do that for the most part. I mean, most people think that Nazis are just horrible human beings. I'm not going to get too much into it here, but I mean, I feel like there's some people in my country currently that don't see it that way. But that is just something that I kind of feel they go that route, so I definitely am down for it. As I said, I thought this was a pretty solid film and give it a 7.5 out of 10. All right, I'm going to go ahead and send you to one last musical break before I close out the show.
nothing I can do A total eclipse of the heart There's only love in the dark Nothing I can say A total eclipse of the heart A total eclipse of the heart Turn around Thank you all for coming on this journey with me and listening to this episode. If you want to follow me on my social medias, you can find my written reviews as well as all the information for these podcast episodes at Reviews of the Dead, which is at horrorreview.webnode.com. If you want to find me on Facebook, it's David Michigan Garrett Jr. On Twitter, Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd is David OSU. And Instagram is DavidOSU87. Uh, we're on FlickChat. Haven't really done a whole lot over there. We don't really have a lot of people on there yet. So, But if you want to join that, it's Journey with a Cinephile, all one word. If you want to send me an email, it's journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. And I want to thank you for, again, listening to the episode. And it's looking like next week my double feature will be Hopefully the remake to Black Christmas that is coming out this year, as well as Pontypool. As always, David Garrett Jr. is your tour guide, and I am signing off.